Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. So we hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, which in America was yesterday. So whether you've been creeping with us since last month or you're a fresh creep, we are thankful for you. And also, in honor of the holiday with the most awkward family interactions, we're going to tell you the story of an Italian soap maker named Leonardo Cianciulli, who really loved her son. (laughs) So Leonardo was born in 1894 in Montatella, which is in southern Italy. Her mother, Amelia Dinolfi, was young and beautiful, and she was from a noble family. So she had lots of prospects, thought that she was going to marry up. Leonardo's father, Mariano Gentuli, would not have been considered a good match for Amelia. He was older. He was known to be cruel. He didn't have the same social standing as Amelia, and he was at least part Romani. So Mariano saw Amelia in town one day, and they didn't know each other, but he became obsessed with her and began to follow her. And he started to resent her because he obviously liked her or at the very least was attracted to her, but he knew he couldn't like have her per society because she was out of his league. Right, right. She was spending time with one of the men that was a potential match for her, which is typical. And so she was getting ready to head home and he was going to walk her home. And she's like, no, it's like right here. It's fine. So she started to walk home. And that's when Mariano dragged her off the road and into a field. And at first she was like, oh, this is one of my friends playing a joke which is a very weird joke. I don't drag my friends into fields. Yeah. But yeah, he started to get violent. And that's when she realized that this wasn't just a joke from one of her friends. She also didn't really know much about the birds and the bees. So she wasn't sure like what was happening. Like he was like touching her body in ways that that would be considered sexual assault, but he hadn't like had sex with her yet. And so like she was like, she just didn't know what was happening until she knew it was happening. And so when he was finished, He left her in the field and she was bloody and crying and she laid in the field for hours, which it's all this is all very heartbreaking. So when she got home, she didn't want anyone to think less of her. So she didn't tell anyone, which so So sad. sad. Like, it's already bad enough. Like, it's this like this is already bad enough. The fact that you add like the social stigma that she would be thought poorly of because someone else took advantage of her body. Right. Not okay. So soon she so it takes a few months, but she starts to show and her parents didn't know what had happened to her and thought that there was like she was having a relationship with someone and they demanded to know who it was. And that's when she told them Mariano. And so the next day they invited the Chanchuli family over and they decided the two of them would get married. Horrible. Can you imagine like how she must have felt? To, like, come home and there he's sitting, like, in her fucking house. Right, right. And it it was just awful for her. However, Mariano was absolutely thrilled because he got what he wanted. Makes it worse, right? So they didn't speak again until they were married. So that incident took place. They, you know, she avoided him and then... They spoke again at at the wedding. The new home was in the most impoverished part of town. There was no furniture. The bathroom was outside and they had to share it with other people. Amelia and her family had expected that she would marry into another well-off family. And with that, she didn't really know how to do any household chores. So it sounds a little like bathery in a way, but she was learning how to run a household at this time after getting married. Yeah. Mariano would force himself on her again and again. Mariano would beat Amelia when she wasn't completing the domestic duties that he assigned to her. He saw it as like a rebellion and she just didn't really know how to do a lot of the things. So it wasn't like it wasn't her fault at all. He was just freaking crazy. And the sad part is when he would be beating on her, she would have to try to shield her belly because she was pregnant and he would just still lose it. He did not care one bit that she was pregnant. And then to make it, I don't even know if this is worse or just, it it was just this bad, but Mariano was, yeah, he was out drinking when she went into labor. And so she stumbled out onto the road and then luckily some local women saw her. They felt bad for her and then they were able to get her a midwife. And then on top of all of that, she had a very, very difficult labor. She had a daughter named her Leonarda. Amelia saw Leonarda as a manifestation of her fall from nobility and the abuse and hate of Mariano. 
So she very much disliked her daughter, which is so sad. There's no reason. But imagine like, you know, she's looking at her daughter that looks like this guy that's an awful abuser. It's horrific. It's just so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Over the next few years, they moved around because they kept getting thrown out of their homes because they couldn't pay their bills. Mariano didn't seem inclined to keep a job or realistically work. Sounds like he just liked to drink. He's the worst. Like the absolute worst. Yeah, he is the worst. Luckily, the church was there to help and they survived off of church donations. Amelia was ashamed because she needed the help because yeah, she came from nobility and then pretty much going from top to bottom is horrible. Amelia had no power or control over her life, so she exerted her power to the only thing she could, which was Leonardo. Even as a toddler, she would beat her. No. Which breaks my heart. There's no reason to hurt a child. And then on top of that, Mariano was abusive verbally and physically. So she just didn't really have a chance to be a normal human being. Three years after they were married, Mariano didn't come home. Freaking finally. Right? <laughs> when I read that, I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Right. He was a heavy drinker, and so it wasn't that unusual, but he wasn't doing well. He had a really bad fever, and he was pretty much in a coma at a friend's house. Amelia brought him home, but she didn't even pretend to act like she cared. I thought that was really interesting because she was raised in a social tier where you cared what people thought, but it seemed like she was like, but I don't give a hoot. Think what you want. I need to be rid of this guy. Fair. Well, they couldn't even afford a doctor, so he just he just didn't do well and died. Leonardo barely knew her father, so she didn't really have any sort of reaction to him passing. And realistically, her mother didn't care for him either. So at the funeral after the gravediggers left, it's been said that Amelia spit on his grave. Amelia assumed that her family would be welcoming and take her back to the old life that she missed, where she had money didn't have to worry about any of that, not have to go outside to a second bathroom. Uh, they basically shunned her because they didn't want to bring the shame back. So like this whole nonsense thing of if someone gets raped, it's shameful. Just ugh. Yeah. I also I wonder if they knew. Like, if they knew that she was raped. I don't know if it would change anything. I don't think she told them. I still like differing accounts on that. Like, whether she told them what happened or... They just thought that she got pregnant. But I don't, I, again, I don't think that it really would have mattered either way. But like, ugh, could you imagine? She was like, ah, finally, a relief from this life I've lived. But no. Yeah. And they're like, nope, figure it out yourself. So then she started to go out drinking and dancing and she'd just leave her toddler child alone. Amelia thought she was likely going to find a new husband pretty easily. But it turns out that most men didn't want to marry her, but only to have sex with her. Amelia eventually remarried to a man who lavished her with expensive gifts. So she kind of found what she ultimately wanted. Their home was a little bit better than where they lived prior. He spent his money on gifts for her. And then he also took her out quite a bit. They would, again, leave Leonardo home because no one cares about the child, unfortunately. The part that bothered me the most is that they didn't even feed her, really. She pretty much lived on leftovers and whatever scraps she could find. So sad. And you would think like because her mom was a little bit happier, like with a guy that had a little bit more money because that's what she wanted. She didn't really care about anything else, it seemed. But her mother's abuse didn't lessen. It actually increased during this time. So Leonardo wasn't even a teenager when she tried to hang herself. She tried basically twice during her life. So once before she was a teenager and then she tried it again when she was 13. I also read accounts and I couldn't find any additional information on it. But something about how she tried other ways, too, by, like, eating glass and, like, weird stuff. Oh, fuck. Sorry, that was my honest and God's tr true reaction to eating glass. Like, <gasps> yeah. And a lot of this, too, I will say just real quick. A lot of the information on Leonardo is all in Italian. So we're we're using translators and stuff to find some of the information. So, again, some of the facts about her life and some of the things can be changed a little bit or skewed because of the difference in languages. I also read a book called The Curse, and it's by Ryan Green. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the whole title, because if you don't know, then you don't know some stuff. And 
we'll get to that. But I will list the book on our sources on our website, as always. So Leonardo started to become a beautiful young woman. And she still, you know, had noble bloodline in her from her mom's side. Amelia was excited to take advantage of the generosity to all of the suitors that came knocking. (laughs) A peach. A peach, yes. So she took her time because she was excited to be back in that world where she grew up. So she figured she'd be able to find a good match for Leonardo. And then her husband would then support Amelia and her husband. So she thought, hey, I can marry her off. They could take care of us. (laughs) All will be done. What a time. (laughs) Amelia didn't tell Leonardo. So Leonardo didn't think her mother was trying to find a match for her. Which seems fair because she wasn't doing anything for her. No. Except beating her and verbally abusing her. Right. There's no reason why Leonardo would have thought that her mom was like doing something even remotely beneficial for her. Well, it wasn't technically beneficial for her, realistically. She was just looking for someone to take care of her. Well, I would think that she would want her out of the house. Like if she just despised her so much, just how can I marry her off, get rid of her, whoever wants her, take her. But I do see that she was selfish on top of that and wanted money. She's, so then Leonardo started dating someone, which was considered scandalous at the time. In 1917, Leonardo married Raffaella Pansonardi. He was older than her and he had a low paying government clerk job. So he wasn't very admired by her mom. Amelia did not attend the wedding. Shocker. Amelia then cursed Leonardo's marriage. And Leonardo took that hard, like that that she put a curse on her. Yeah. Question. When you read these names, do you think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Because we have Leonardo and Raphael. (laughs) Absolutely. And I had to like stop myself from saying like Leonardo and Raphael went down into the sewers to eat some pizza and the shredder was there. (laughs) And perhaps we'll meet the shredder later. Perhaps Donatello was somewhere. Yeah. Off topic, but I do have a tortoise named Donatello. And then we found out it was a girl. Donatella now? Donnie for short. Oh, of course. I was like, or April. You could give them a wig, a red wig. <laughs> Are you imagining a tortoise with a red wig now? You're welcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> After Leonardo moved out with Raffaele, she started to be her own critic because her mother was no longer there to abuse her. And at this point, she'd lived her entire life with physical, emotional mental, verbal abuse. So just because she was away from her mother doesn't mean that she wasn't forever affected by it. If Amelia walked by Leonardo on the street, she would just keep walking and act like she didn't see her. Right. She's a shitbird, like for sure a shitbird. Yeah. Because Leonardo grew up with the tiniest mistake being worthy of physical or verbal abuse, if she made any teeny tiny kind of like mistake, like she would like burn dinner or like make a mistake around the house or something like that, she would like she would cry and she would like cower away from Raffaella. And he didn't really understand like why that was happening. This wasn't a time when people were like, let's unpack my trauma. Right. So right. Leonardo started having seizures when she would get upset. And then they started become becoming cyclical because she would be worried about having a seizure. So she would get upset and then she would have a seizure. And like, but it was because she was afraid to have a seizure to begin with. Some think she had epilepsy, but she was never diagnosed. She took pretty much everything that bad that happened in her life as proof of her mother's curse. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. And this was this was like no exception. And could you imagine if. You believe that someone cursed you and then just like everyone has bad things that happen in their life. Some are tiny, some are big. Sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's a little, but you're always, everybody's going to have hard times and adversity. And if you had mm-hmm. a bucket to throw it in, like this is all because of the curse that must have like made everything in life so much harder. Yeah. Someone in my family believes the family was cursed. And says that all the time whenever something bad happens. Goodness. They're like, it's because we've been cursed. Our family line is cursed. And it's just, it's funny because. Do you know the origins of the curse? I don't know exactly where it started, but it's a couple generations away where I guess someone got cursed and basically said like everything will end in tragedy or something. I don't know the specifics. I've just heard of it from various people in the family. And there is one family member that always says, well, our family was cursed and that's why. Just so you know, spoiler alert, most lives will end in tragedy unless you're the notebook. Mm -hmm. So Raphaelic assumed that he would be able to like work his way up at work. But that really wasn't the case because 
the people who were his superiors were kind of of a noble class and they were displeased with the fact of the mismatch in social class between Leonardo and Raffaella. So even though she had grown up in poverty, she was still like like noble blood and that made them mad so he wouldn't advance and so not great so leonardo went to a romani fortune teller to have her palm read and she was like a little cagey around romani people because she knew that there was like romani blood in her father's side and i just think that she probably had a negative negative view of him i doubt amelia ever said good things about him and why would she he was a monster so she was so worried about the curses so when she went to the fortune teller she said am i going to die is that what this curse is going to do And the fortune told her something worse than that. And she said, you're going to live a long life full of sadness. You will outlive every one of your children. Yeah. Woof. Right. So a few years later in 1920, Leonardo gets pregnant for the first time. Not surprising. Her anxiety gets much worse. And with her more anxiety comes more seizures. And with more seizures comes more falls. So after three months, she miscarries. Again, she thinks it's because of the curse. Later in 1920, Leonardo and Raphael decide to leave town. And this is in part because her anxiety had gotten worse and her mother was there and he knew that wasn't great. And he also, he wasn't moving up, which meant that he was going to stay stagnant. So I think he wanted to go somewhere where he could probably professionally grow. So they ended up moving several times, each time getting a little further from Montanella. And it was also really hard for Leonardo to find work because her anxiety was like ramped up from having seizures and moving and all of the change. And also like they weren't really financially stable. So she was just like generally stressed about that. I also think that she, she like most yeah. people then and now equates fiscal stability with, as like the baseline for living a happy life, right? Because if you're worried about like, will I be able to shelter, feed and clothe my children? How do you not, how are you not anxious if you're worried about those things? Exactly. So finally, in 1922, Leonardo successfully had a child, and it was her eldest son, Giuseppe. She was overly loving and doting. So she was low-key, like, obsessed with this kid, (laughs) which, understandable, like, if all of her prior kids had died, like, of course, she's going to have, like, a very big bond with this one. They tried to have another child, but again, she miscarried. So it made her even more connected to Giuseppe. Leonardo gave birth to three more children over the years, two girls and one boy. One girl, though, died when she was a toddler, and the youngest boy died in his crib. You know, it it triggered tons of anxiety and seizures. She started to tear her own hair out. She left her part-time job to obsess over her remaining children. Giuseppe wasn't even allowed to play outside or be by himself at all. I can't imagine trying to to parent like that. It's also interesting that like because she didn't have a good parental model, Mm -hmm. she did the absolute opposite, which was love him too much. Yeah. That's what it feels like. So they did have more children. They actually had five more boys, but they all died as well. She started working at a bank cleaning overnight and they didn't spend money on cleaning supplies. So she had to learn how to make her own soaps. What an interesting skill to like pick up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I was working, if I was like cleaning someplace, I'd be like, you will supply the cleaning supplies and I will clean. I'm not a chemist. I'm not making soaps. Soap chemist. Soap chemist. I am no soap chemist. <laughs> so back at the bank, she learned how to make soaps because they would not supply her with them. Their 10th child then died while she was at work one night and she didn't find out until she came home from work. That was a bad decision on Raffaele's part. Right. I, I couldn't find information on how this child died, but I did see, I think a couple of them died in the crib. So in 1927, she created a false account in one of the bank ledgers and then tried to pull money out of the account when the bank was opened. They knew she didn't have that much money, so it was pretty obvious. She was then arrested and then she confessed that she did it all by herself. She was convicted, sentenced, and put in prison. She served 18 months of her sentence, and she was in a prison that was run by nuns. So the nuns were, from what I understand, just pretty mean, and they would add years onto sentences for any sort of bad behavior. And the benefit for her is she was like super used to just listening, listening to whatever her mom said and then listening to whatever the nun said. So she didn't have to like, you know, get years added onto her sentence. She actually 
only served the 18 months. But others that were in this prison, I'm sure, got a lot of time added for any bad behavior. Rafael's family gave them money so that they could move again and start over. And then he also started to get a little more bossy. So they moved to another town called Lacedonia, and Raffaele got a clerical job that came with a house, which, cool, jobs that come with houses, down for it. And they loved their new home, and he made enough money, and because it came with a house, Leonardo didn't have to work. Great. Another stress that was good. And Mm -hmm. so, but she kept waiting for the other two to drop. Like She was like, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen, because she always thought something bad was going to happen, and she was always waiting for the worst. Yeah. So... Just when things settled down again, she got pregnant again. She miscarried again. She went to another fortune teller. That fortune teller told her that they saw prison in one hand and an asylum in the other. Not good choices. Tuck that away. Not good choices. So then, not too long after, Leonardo gave birth to another baby boy. And she started being terrified to leave the house because she was so worried that she would trip or fall or he would get hurt in some way just because she's still worried about the curse and she's still worried about the first fortune teller's prophecy. There was like a Romani camp on the outside of town. And when Raffaella would come home from work, she would go like hang out there and like get her fortunes told and they would teach her about the occult. And like she would be like, here's our money, which I'm sure Raffaella loved. That she was oh, spending sure. their money on this. Or why he got all bossy. I'm sure, like, he was also, like, enough. She's probably acting, like, anxious, scared, skittered. And then she's doing things illegal and not not even well. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to be a con artist, do it well. Don't, like, be like, <laughs> right. I have a bank account here in, here with $1 million. Where's my $1 million? And they're like, you, and you make the bank for it. Yeah, we don't even we don't even have enough money to get soap. You think that we're paying you enough to have a like a like a fat bank That's account? That's the exact term no, they used too back then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Word for word. So in Lacedonia, during the harvest, folks would go help work in the field just to help him. And then also like it seemed it was like a fun time of year because everyone would help in the fields and then they would dance and they would sing and it was just like a great time. And then also after all that. They would sleep in the fields. And so the whole family's sleeping in the field. And they're like sleeping like together-ish, right? And so Leonardo was woken up as though she was like someone shook her. And a few others like felt it, but they went back to sleep. But she couldn't because she was a nervous soul. And so she was laying awake and then she heard her baby begin to cry. She went to pick him up and baby's screaming. And she can feel herself starting to shake. So she thinks she's going to have a seizure. She doesn't want to stand up and rock him. So she goes to wake up Raffaella. And that's when she notices that he's shaking too. What happens after is a truly awful earthquake that decimated the town. Roughly 1,400 people died in and around that little town. So when everybody was woken up right by like the actual earthquake itself, there were people in the town still. Like not everybody was out in the field, just a lot of the people. The people who were in the town, the structures collapsed. Once the shaking subsided, the people who were in the fields, some most people went running back into town to get their belongings or to help the people who were right. in the rubble because they were screaming for help. Leonardo and her family, they don't move because she's obviously freaked out for a good reason, right? There was an earthquake. And so she doesn't want to stand up because she's afraid she's going to have a seizure again. So they're just like taking a moment. Everybody who ran back and the people who were in the rubble died from the aftershocks. So like, again, 1400 people died, which is a lot of people for that. Yeah, that's a lot. And then one thing, though, she almost should have thought that maybe the curse was lifted or there was no curse because she did live when that many people died. You know, like they just happened to be in the field that night and they happened to not run back. I feel like that would be more like, oh, I was protected, not that the curse was out to get me. She thought that it was because of the curse that all of these people died. And in some of the things that I read, they talk about her being a narcissist because she thought she was like the main character of the world and that everybody else like was just like a supporting character. So that kind of just like reinforces that idea that she really was a narcissist because she was like this curse and this terrible thing happened to me, even though she's actually like the survivor of it. After the earthquake, town is decimated. So they moved to a town named Karajijo. And so at this point, it's Leonardo and Raffaella, Giuseppe and three other children. They had all in total, they had lost 10 children at this point. When they get to Corajo, the whole town is very generous and they all help them get on their feet. 
which very, very nice because they could they'd heard what happened. and They knew that mm-hmm. they were like refugees from that. I kind of thought that she would or that she would just like place this in the curse bucket and be like, bad things happen. They're going to keep rolling. But she kind of did the opposite. She was like, this was the big bad thing that was supposed to happen. And it happened. So she felt kind of free, yeah. which was interesting. So with what they were able between what they were given by the town and the job that Raffaella got, they were able to have a home savings and enough money to live on for the first time. So she was able to breathe a little bit and she's finally more relaxed than ever. Yeah, right. Finally. And so she was originally kind of standoffish to the women of the town when she first got there. And so once she started to like chill a little bit, she worked on repairing the relationships with those women. And for the first time in her life, she had like a network of friends. So she was like the happiest she's ever been. Makes me happy. Right? Which I was like, yeah. so happy for her. And so another thing that I love that was like she taught herself poetry and then she shared it with others and it like made her popular. Like people would like invite her over. So that she would and I wish poetry. we could just be like, and then she lived happily ever after and everything was great, but it's not. Yeah, the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this doesn't get really weird. So the house they lived in had a store connected to it, but it was like closed up. So she talked to Raffaele and she wanted to open a soap shop. And so they cleaned up the store and Giuseppe helped her paint the sign and they ordered all the supplies. And so she made a first batch of soap and she gave it to her friends to like be like, tell me how you like my soap. And then they loved it. And word of mouth spread all over the town. So when she had her grand opening, everyone was there. And so the soap business was doing really, so really Leonardo well. would invite her friends over for tea cakes on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. What is a tea cake? I feel like I've seen like similar things where they're like, yeah, the poofy top. But... They're going to describe them as crunchy at some point. And I'm like, I don't understand. And I Googled Italian tea cakes and it just showed me Italian cookies, which I'm like, is that mean? It's a, yeah. That mean from it's what I thing? saw and like based off of the recipes, we'll say in a little bit about how she uh, baked, they they would just turn into like crispy, flat cookies, at least with those ingredients. And from what I know about baking, they would just look like little flat cookies that were crunchy. Everyone began coming to Leonardo for advice. I think because they'd just sit and eat their tea cakes and hang out and she would offer advice and they just ate it all up. So I also saw where like she would give people advice and be like, this is going to happen. Yeah. And then that thing would happen. So she kind of had like some like premonitions. Well, and remember when chatting. she used to go and like visit the Romani, like she might have learned a couple things on, on fortune telling and that sort of thing. Yeah, she learned a thing or two. Yeah, but they would discuss things like dating, crops, and every adult just seemed to, you know, go to her for things. So so some people believe she could tell the future and some just thought she was extremely intelligent and was so intelligent that she could fool everyone else. When the Romani would travel through the town, they would stop to see her and they would bring her gifts to barter for soap. So like books on the occult, tarot cards, bone ruins, all kinds of things, anything around like the spiritual movement. So she'd get some cool stuff. At this point, there were three different types of Italian folk magic, but she connected with two out of the three. One was Stregoria. The other was Benedicera. So she really wanted to learn the rites and rituals of the folk magic traditions. And out of all of them, she really wanted to be a fixer so that she could learn to pick apart the curse from her mother and hopefully dissolve it. She had felt powerless for so long, and this pretty much gave her hope and like a sense of control. She thought that if she could perform the rites and the rituals, that she would be able to avoid the fate of her children. So remember, she had a couple still living, and she really thought that she could protect them. So on top of people going to her for advice, they'd also go to her for herbal abortions, fertility issues, loyalty issues, and simply just for luck. Leonardo was considered an expert for Stregoria protection rights in Italy. Giuseppe then enlisted to fight in World War II. Leonardo found out because she was in town and she overheard folks congratulating Giuseppe in town. And she like swallowed her emotions, went home, closed the door to her study where she had all of her occult stuff and just like sobbed and like broke down. And Giuseppe kind of like counted that as a win because she was like so smothering and like overbearing that 
that was he's like this is a relatively reasonable reaction because one of the things that we haven't touched on as much is like what life was like for Giuseppe with like a mother who didn't even let him breathe like I think he probably enlisted mm-hmm. so that he way could of get away from her so after she found out Leonardo knew that she needed to save her son's life so she would have to take a life in order to save it Later on, we're going to talk Mm. more about this, but later on, she did end up writing an autobiography, and there was a part in it that someone had translated and put online, so I wanted to read that. It says, I couldn't bear the loss of another child. Almost every night, I dreamt of a small white coffin, swallowed one after another by the black earth. That's why I studied magic. I read the books that talk about palmistry, astronomy, conjurations, hexes, spiritualism. I wanted to learn everything about spells to be able to neutralize them. Woof. So first what she had to do was figure out how she was going to attach the protection spell to him. So normally what she would use were, it was a bag called a brevet bag, but she knew that he could lose this little bag while he was traveling, right? Because if he's at war, you lose things, right? And so she decided what she would do is she would make a soap that would cover his body and then she would make the protection spell also in food, so he would be covered on the inside and the outside. It took her like a moment to figure out who she was going to sacrifice. That seems fair. You should take a moment to decide that, right? Absolutely. It's like a wise decision. Right? Right? Like the first sacrifice, you want to figure out someone good the first time so that you don't have to keep doing this. You should really weigh out your options. Think about how you're going to do this the first time so you don't have to do it more than once. Is this a hint? Right? Okay. It might be. So in this time period, women who were considered spinsters, which were women of an advanced age who weren't married, were not really respected and were ridiculed. And they didn't really have a lot of weight because generally like women's power kind of came from their husband at this time period. With the exception of people like Raffaella, who had like a supernatural kind of like element to them. Women's power in this time period was coming from men. And if you weren't married, then you didn't have like a backup, if you will. So She decided she would kill a spinster who wouldn't be missed and a person who folks wouldn't be surprised if she left. So there was a woman in town named Faustina who was often ridiculed because she was a spinster. And so she originally met Leonardo when she went to her to find a suitor because she'd been looking to find like a man for years and couldn't find anybody. And so what Leonardo did was she told her that there was a suitor in Paula who had seen a photo of her and had fallen in love. And understandably, Faustina was excited. She told Faustina that she had set up arrangements for the marriage and like everything was taken care of. And then she gave her some very specific like advice and instructions. She explained some people aren't going to understand the haste of this. They're going to be reluctant and they're not going to understand because, you know, they don't understand that this is your path to happiness. Right. And just to, to put a little bit more information on Faustina, she was around seven or she was in her 70s at this time. Just giving this poor old woman... The story made me really sad for some reason. No, it's it's heartbreaking. Like, it's it's just awful. It's just awful. So, Leonardo, again, told her everybody was going to be reluctant. So, what she said, she was like, don't tell anybody right now. Write some letters. And I've foreseen that you're going to have a safe travel. So, in your letters, write as if you're traveling. And talk about the fact that you're having a safe journey and that everything's going great. And you're so excited and that, like, you're going to be married. and all. Why did she make and her so, like, write the letters, though? Instead of just send them along the journey. So she she knew that the whole idea was that this way people didn't know that they were missing. And like if she had just sent all the letters like right before she left, then people would be like, where is she? What are you talking about? I mean, I always found it weird when I was reading these stories that she told them, yeah, write this letter and say your journey is great. And then write another one saying that you got there. okay." And they're like, instead of like, why? They were just like so excited. Yeah, well, and she explained, like, people are going to be reluctant to understand what's going on. So, like, you'll need to, like, explain it to different people at different points. Like, because the idea was that they would have letters from, like, basically, like, the beginning-ish of their journey to, like, when they got there. Mm -hmm. So that this way, like, it wouldn't raise suspicions. Strange, though, right? And so, Faustine is pumped, so she does. And so... Leonardo also tells her to pack her bags, write the letters, and then come back in the next the next morning very early. And so Faustina, again, very pumped. She comes. 
She has her bag packed. And Leonardo had shooed everyone out of the house like pretty early so that this way nobody was around. And so Faustina comes in. Leonardo tells her to have a seat. And so she gives her a glass of wine. She's like, you're nervous. This will help you. And Leonardo's, or, and Faustina's like, okay, great. Because she's very nervous, right, to meet this guy who yeah. apparently loves her from a photo. And then it's pretty apparent pretty soon after that Leonardo had drugged their wine. And so when Faustina's head kind of like lulls back because she's been sedated by this whatever mixture was in there, that's when Leonardo More went and got her axe. I know. What's, what's it with axes? But this is what she used. So Leonardo's axe. So the first, the first blow from the axe hit her shoulder and Faustina started making like a high-pitched whine and... Leonardo started like hacking at her over and over. And at this point, she's trying to get Faustina to be quiet because she's just like hitting her over and over again with this axe. And it's not until like Faustina is like clearly dead that Leonardo realizes it was Having her screaming. Having to kill someone she knew, I'm sure, was hard. In her head, she thought she had to do it. It wasn't an option. It was either her or the son. I actually don't think this was hard. For no? Me. Not this one. It'll make sense later because, like, as she, as she continues, we'll, we'll get to that part in a moment. But I don't think this part was hard. But so she kills her and she's upset that she didn't catch enough of Faustina's blood. That's another reason why I don't think that she that she was, like, that remorseful. Because she's immediately like, but my spell. Not like, oh, no, what have I done? It's like, I didn't but catch no, enough I, blood. I just thought that, like, under other circumstances, she probably wouldn't have gone and killed this random woman in the town. But it was like she had to do it in her head because it was that woman's life or her son's life. And clearly she would pick her son. That's fair. But so after she hacked her up, she started massaging the blood out of all of the pieces of her it. just to get all the blood out because she needed as much as she could because she had been Ugh, messy. Horrible. So from there, she had emptied the blood into trays and then put them in the oven. This way, the blood could dry out and be an ingredient for her ritual. Once the Yum. flesh was drained, she mixed them in pots of caustic soda and dissolved the rest of the flesh, tissue, hair, and bones. The fat rendered down into a brown bubbling concoction. And just thinking of it makes me like, ugh, uneasy. <laughs> had you ever heard of caustic soda I before? I didn't. This? No, I had to Google it to understand like what it was. Let me read it. To what you. is it? I watched a video on her and I thought I misheard it because I'm like, I've never heard of that before. So it's sodium hydroxide and it's also known as lye or caustic soda. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. There we go. If you like true crime. Yes. You've heard of yes. Lye. But I had just never heard of caustic soda. So I had to find out and I'm like, oh, makes sense. <laughs> she then mixed the dried blood with, I'm going to say from hers. She then mixed the dry blood with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, eggs, and then a little bit of margarine. Just a touch. Just a touch. <laughs> so she made tea cakes. And that, that's her recipe. If anyone wants to follow along, we'll judge the best tea cake recipe on Instagram. <laughs> Ooh, plating matters. It sure does. Do not kill your neighbors, though, to make these. I feel like the dried blood is an optional yeah. ingredient. Yeah, no, don't kill anyone. So, like I mentioned, with her fabulous ingredient list, she made tea cakes. So when she bit into the tea cake, she didn't think it tasted weird. Mm-hmm. Cool. When she lifted the lid off of one of the pots to check how the rest was going, she realized that something had gone wrong. It was a gross sludge, and it could not be fashioned into soap. <laughs> She took the gross liquid and dumped it in the nearest septic pit. She didn't want to waste the tea cakes, so she then fed them to her family and a visitor. She decided that oh. the next sacrifice would need to be someone younger. And she needed someone that was more... She needed basically someone that had more years to live because Giuseppe had many more years to live. So it had to be like an equal amount of time. If only she had thought that because she knew right? the woman was older. Like she knew she was like in her 70s. This is something she could have figured out before. You would think. I'm just you saying. would think. So just you would think kind of tying it up with Faustina when when Leonardo wrote her autobiography later on in life. She actually recalled 
in detail what she did. And so I'm just going to read a quick quote from it. I threw the pieces into the pot, added several kilograms of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred it all until the dissected body dissolved into a dark sticky pulp in which I filled some buckets and emptied it into a neighbor's cesspool. As for the blood in the basin, I waited for it to coagulate. I dried it in the oven, grinded it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a little margarine, mixing everything together. I made a large quantity Mm. of crunchy pastries and served them to the visiting ladies, but Giuseppe and I ate too. How pissed would you be if somebody made you an unwitting cannibal? Oh, that makes me queasy. Cannibalism just hits me in like a very like terrifying way. I just don't do it. I can't even watch. Like if I'm watching a horror movie and someone's going to bite someone's face, like I'm losing my mind. I'm hiding. I'm screaming. I just I can't handle it. So there was a young school teacher in town who had retired to take care of her sick husband. And she was younger than Leonardo. But, and she also couldn't find a job. Her name was Francesca Suave. And Leonardo, following a pattern here, was like, I found you a job. It's at an elite school in Switzerland. And like she basically repeated the same process with Francesca. She had her come over. She explained, like, I have a job for you. And then explained like the whole thing about the letters and like what she needed to do and to come back the next morning. She also, when she came back the next morning, Leonardo also gave her some wine because Francesca too was nervous. So the book that I read was like, as she felt the drugs take hold, Leonardo took the money out of her pocket. But I also like, I don't know how the person who wrote the book would know that. A little drama. But Leonardo did take money from the people who she sacrificed. So, like, she learned from her first round how to not, like, waste blood and how to, like, do this more efficiently. So she, like, she started doing this methodically. She did have, like, I believe she had a spell, she was saying, as she committed both murders. And so she set up the basins to catch the blood. I'm pretty sure before, like... She started hacking away. And so she noticed when she was cutting into Francesca, she had a thin layer of fat. And she wondered if that might be what was missing from the first sacrifice, because I'm assuming Faustina was like relatively like thinner and probably didn't have a lot of fat. And so she repeated the whole process. She tasted one of the cakes this time and she noticed there was a little zazz to them. And she was like, ah, spell is working. But then she went to check on the contents of the pots again. And it was again this like disgusting viscous like fluid that she could not fashion into soap. Again, she poured everything out in the septic pit. So around this time, Giuseppe decided that he was going to leave early and Leonardo heard from somebody in town. So she started to get more frantic. So Leonardo realized her previous error. She hadn't done the ritual with intention. Plus, the sacrifices just weren't meaningful to her. So she needed to find someone that she, I guess the best way I could say it, like she sort of loved, right? And like respected and almost was like jealous of their life. It seemed like she picked the other two women because nobody would miss them. And so it ended up not being like so much of a sacrifice in her eyes as a convenient target. And I think for that reason, like in her mind, it wasn't a good enough sacrifice because she didn't believe it was right. a sacrifice. So enter Virginia Ketchupo. She was a famous soprano and the locals loved her. She wore fine clothes and perfumes and she was just very, very popular. It also sounded like she was kind of posh and that yeah. wasn't something that was like too common in that area because I think it was like a little town. So I think she was just like... In some things that I read, it was almost like Leonardo compared herself to Virginia in a sense and just kind of thought like if her life had been a little different, she could have been just like Virginia. If she hadn't wanted to choose her own husband, she could have been where Virginia was, like in that place in society. So I feel like she just like envied her life. Virginia would get advice from Leonardo. She found out, you know, about the fortune telling from other women in the town. And then she started going. And then because she was going, it made Leonardo even more popular. Virginia planned on leaving town and told Leonardo about it. And then Leonardo thought of like a betrayal. And from what I understand, she didn't really have any specific plans on like where she was going or when, just that she planned on leaving. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure that her money had started to run out and she had been relying on her brother and sister-in-law for a little while. So she had been, she was like, I need to go. I also saw that Leonardo's popularity, she had, people were still coming to see her, but she wasn't getting invited to like dinner parties and stuff like that as much anymore. Then enter Virginia, who's posh and popular. She befriends Leonardo and suddenly Leonardo started to get invited to places anymore. So I wonder if she was like, she felt betrayed partially because she was going to lose like a little bit of her social status. she wasn't like she wasn't shining with Virginia so she did have a a pretty big connection to Virginia so killing her would be hard but she felt like it would be an equal trade for her son because Virginia mattered to people and yeah it just seemed like an equal trade so she made her plan she said that she had found a job for Virginia and that she'd be so great at it but she refused at first to share the details so the secrecy was like like pretty appealing to Virginia. She thought of it like a fun game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that like they would hang out and each time they would hang out, Leonardo would give her like a little bit more and a little bit more. She let Virginia like draw the details out so that it wasn't like she was like spinning a tail. It was like Virginia was extracting information. So it felt yeah. less. So contrived. what the job ultimately was, was to manage a household and business affairs for a working man. And it, it was in like the realm of the arts. So it was a good fit for her. She would be like going to parties and socializing. And she had a lot of like the inner workings surrounding that. And then that's sort of how Leonardo would get away with it is like, yeah, the employer's secretive because he is an important person. On September 30th, 1940, Virginia left her home to go to Leonardo's. She was going to be leaving. She thanked her brother for his kindness, but her sister-in-law was already out for the day, so she didn't get to say goodbye to her. When Leonardo saw her, she was wearing furs and jewelry. It made things a little more difficult because she was going to be someone who would be missed. She wasn't, you know, an old woman, and she wasn't just a person that didn't really have impact on people. She mattered in this town. And on this day, because she was leaving, she actually like looked more glamorous than normal too. So it was just a little hard for Leonardo. So Leonardo then, of course, offered her wine. And at first, Virginia was like, it's a little early for wine. I don't think so. But she insisted. So ultimately, she said something along the lines like, I don't know why you're so intent with me drinking this wine, but if it's important to you, then I shall. So she drank the wine. It's like the same thing again. So she took her axe. This time, the first blow went to Virginia's chest and it broke her ribs and she was bleeding profusely. She then cut off Virginia's arms. After draining the blood, Leonardo went to putting the pieces of Virginia into the big pot. She could tell immediately that something wasn't right. The caustic soda started eating away at the pieces of Virginia, but it just didn't look like the right consistency she wanted it to be. Uh, Also, I believe it smelled weird. She just didn't think it smelled right. So I don't know what she expected it to smell like, but she apparently she wanted it to smell more like Virginia. So she grabbed some of Virginia's perfume that was like in the trunk that she brought and she emptied the entire bottle of perfume into the pot. So again, another quote from her autobiography, and I thought this was just kind of chilling. It ended up in the pot like the other two, but its flesh was fat and white. When it dissolved, I added a bottle of cologne and after a long boil, creamy bars of soap came out. I gave them as a tribute to neighbors and acquaintances. Even the sweets were better. That woman was really sweet. Yikes. So this time it worked. She, as she was, you know, making the soap and making her bloody weird tea cakes, she also went into Virginia's trunk not only to get the perfume, but there was also money. And it was a lot of money, especially to Leonardo. And also, in addition to money, there were public bonds, jewels, and, you know, lavish clothing in the trunk. And so Leonardo thought, this is it. Like, I don't have to struggle anymore. I have money. I have, you know, things that I can sell. It was just horrific while, you know, while she's cooking her friend. So... As you do. So the soap, like I said, was very rich and creamy. It smelled sweet and floral. It literally was made with tears, too, from what I understand. So I think she was like crying when she did it. So what what she did with the soap. So she knew that her son had to use the soap, right? When you first like read this before you got to the details, did you think that she was going to be like, here is a bar of soap, Giuseppe, wash your body thoroughly? Is that well, kind of yeah, like what you assume she would that's do? That's the only thing that would come to mind because I'm a normal person. 
Yeah, that's fair. So what she did instead was she bathed her adult son and she rubbed that soap everywhere. Everywhere. And so he was uncomfortable and like did not want to do this. He was like, like, so in the account that in the book that I read, it said that like he was undressing when she walked in and he like covered himself up and she's like, I've seen it all before. And he's like, give a fuck. I'm an adult. Like, this Mm -hmm. is weird. So like he gets into the bath and he like goes to start washing and she's like, give me that. And he's like, I can do it. And she's like, no, 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 no. And then she like scrubs. How does he let this happen? Because I know. He was conditioned from an early age to just, my mom's a little overbearing. My mom's a little crazy. No, no. But then, sure, mom, go ahead and scrub every part of me. Scrub my taint. Mom, in, cool. in modern oh. day, this, this interaction would be on that show, I Love a Mama's Boy. If you liked Smothered, the girl version, check out the boy version. Oh, God, I need to watch it. It looks terrible. Oh, my God. Okay. Awful. But this would happen there. In this mothered show, like, they share bathwater. I don't know. I can't. It ruined me. That oh, was, that, yeah. was, that just, was just bad Just a little enough. bit of background. little background. If you love TLC trash like I do, <laughs> smothered is mother-daughter creepy weird relationships. Like she said, sharing bathwater or showering together is one. Look, showering together is weird, but like bath water is it's stagnant. Like somebody gets in, does all their stuff. Then you get into that same dirty ass water. It's a hard no. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. I would not have survived in olden times. They would have been like time to share the bath water. And I was like, I guess I'll die of bad hygiene. I love a mama's boy. It's pretty much like this entire story in modern times because it's creepy, weird moms obsessed with their sons. Okay, so here's my my thoughts. Giuseppe was like, my mother is going to lose her mind when she finds out that I enlisted. So he's like probably assuming like she's going to lose her mind. And like, I think he was like getting ready to leave when she did this. Like he would be leaving soonish. So he was like, this is just like her weird way of showing she cares. And I'm still her baby. She'd been kind of a loon his entire life. So I think he's just like more of the same. But so after she scrubs her son's taint, Then they go into the kitchen and he is like just in a towel sitting on a chair, which like that's all right. That's also weird to me. And so sitting in the kitchen and she's like, would you like a tea cake? And he's like, actually, from that invasion, I'm actually not quite hungry. And so she like lifts the cake up to his mouth. Force feed them the bloody weird nasty cakes. Yeah, which was apparently like Virginia sweet. And so he eats Virginia sweet tea cakes. And she's like, ah, this is great. And so she's aware that he's like the fuck mother because he's like not okay about with her afterwards. Like he can't look her in the eye right, he doesn't so. look near her. And she's like, you know what? It's worth it. For sure. Rightly so. But she's like, you know what? If that's the price for my son's life, then okay. Like I'd rather him live and me lose him than him die. Sweet. But you know, that's that's still fucking weird. So the soap that she had left over, she gave to her friends, hoping that like the spell would work on them. And then she also gave tea cakes to the rest of the family and visitors. Again, she's sharing her. So after that, the families of the missing women started to question what actually happened. Mainly it was Virginia's sister-in-law. And she just thought everything about it was suspicious. Like, why would this random person offer her a job? And like, where did she actually go? Why haven't we heard from her? So she began looking into it, you know, acting like it was a disappearance rather than a move. And she spoke with, you know, townspeople. She spoke with Leonardo's neighbors and they remembered her visiting Leonardo's, but they did not remember her leaving. So then she visited Leonardo Hmm. and asked about Virginia. I believe she also got a palm reading, but she just got it because she was there trying to get questions answered. From what I read, Mrs. Capucho walked in and Leonardo was like, ah, hello, let me give you a reading and like takes her by the hand and like gives her a reading. And then Mrs. Like Catchupo was like, OK, great. Anywho, right, my sister-in-law. Right. Yeah, she didn't really care. But Leonardo acted like she didn't know what happened. The You know, because a lot of people would ask her for advice and that's all it was. The sister-in-law then went to the police and they really didn't do much because they were kind of friendly with Leonardo. So then she went to the superintendent. They started the investigation and they found out about the other two missing women as well. 
So they also Hmm. visited Leonardo before leaving. The two women did. Leonardo mentioned that many women come to her for big life-changing decisions. You know, they ask for her advice before they, you know, marry or move or any of that. So it, you know, it made sense. The letters were used as evidence. And then by the letters, which totally makes sense, they calculated delivery times. They tracked where they were sent from. They followed the postmarks. And by doing so, they got a description of who had sent them. And it matched Giuseppe. So they began to suspect him. Didn't he think it was strange? Because he went to different towns to mail these letters. Did Wasn't he like, hey, mom, why am I mailing these letters to people who are in town from other towns. I think it was just he was sort of like her like if I just don't ask questions and I do what I'm told nothing bad will happen because think about it being her kid if she freaked out and then had a seizure wouldn't you kind of feel like oh man I upset her she hurt herself so I I imagine it was just growing up in that setting he was just like okay mom doesn't seem like it's hurting anyone send these letters so mm, awful okay hmm So they then raided the home and the soap shop, and they found some of the missing women's belongings. Leonardo didn't get a chance to sell it all yet. So they found even the clothes that some of the women were wearing the day of the disappearance. And I'm like, come on, Leonardo, do better. If you're going to be a murderess, you have to deal with evidence better. I also like I love that there's a place in her house where she's like, and this is where clothing from the dead people go. Because wouldn't her family notice that there's like a closet? Yeah. And like trunks. Like, I can't imagine it was like a giant grand lavish clothes like Virginia's clothes were pretty high end. Yeah, I think they were in chunks, but still like they. I would imagine they would be like, what is this? that being said though like if i had like a closet full of trunks in our house ben wouldn't notice yeah you know where people look you know now he's gonna start looking for trunks (laughs) (laughs) next episode so he's torn apart the house again (laughs) yeah there's uh trunks so they didn't immediately suspect that it was a series of murders and still believed that the women left for whatever reason and maybe all of this happened because money would have been a motive like maybe robbery or whatever. Also, and we didn't say it before, Leonardo was like, Faustina, get rid of all your belongings. Sign over your money to me. And then she pulled the money from Francesca. And we know that Virginia had a lot of money. So like she did get money yep. from all so three women. At some point, they actually arrest Giuseppe for the disappearances. Also, when they were investigating, they had found a treasury bill that belonged to Virginia that had been collected by a parish priest named Aldalmo Frattini. He said he got it from someone named Spinarelli, who had received it from Leonardo as compensation for a debt. I tried to look up what this debt was or like why she paid this person. Could not find any details on him. Spinarelli was also arrested, but was immediately acquitted. Leonardo went to the police station a couple hours later to confess. They still thought it was her son, though, and that maybe she was either helping like an accessory or possibly even trying to cover for him. Then she gave the details. When they told Giuseppe what she had told them, he lost color in his face and then started to throw up. He finally understood what the creepy weird bath was all about and what she actually put in the tea cakes, which was he ultimately ate and bathed in a dead woman. Can you even just imagine the reality of that setting in? Like, absolutely not. And it was fed to you by your mother. You know, like. And your mom washed your taint with that soap. I don't know why I'm focusing on, on that part, but it's just a well, yeah, she got everywhere. Yeah. So during Leonardo's trial, they didn't originally release Giuseppe. He remained in prison until 1946, and then he was acquitted for lack of evidence during the trial. During Leonardo's case, someone discussed how, like one of the experts discussed how caustic soda wouldn't do what she had said it had done. And she said, quote, give me a body of any age right now and I shall prove it. They also had the pots and other items that were used during the trial for her to discuss how she used each one. And she even noted, she was like, I am missing a copper ladle. And they were like, okay, where's that? And she's like, I donated it to the war effort and like felt like very like great about herself and thought that people were going to think well of her. But they're like, okay, but that was the ladle that you used to like, you know, make soap what if from that's women. in someone's house right now? I'm sure they probably melted it down into whatever they melt things down into. But so uh, th- melting things, they, uh, copper bullets. Tell me more about that stuff. <laughs> 
Anywho, so she was sentenced and she was convicted and, and sentenced after a three day trial. And she got 30 years in prison and three years in a mental asylum, just like the prophecy had foretold. Prison in one hand, asylum in the other. So there's she a YouTube like, oh, okay. video that shows Leonardo and it's all in Italian. I have no idea what's going on, but someone was nice enough to translate where she's speaking in the video. And I will say, I, I think this is the right translation. It would make sense. But also it's someone being nice enough to translate a YouTube video. So who could say? But it was interesting. The law has condemned me, but I don't care about conviction. 30 years or life imprisonment or shooting. I don't care. 17 children. Oh, my dear. If 13 children would die to you too, you would do what I did. Only a mother can understand me. The law never. Science has perhaps understood me. I don't know why science would understand that. Because they understand, understand that caustic she soda. She thinks that scientists understand caustic soda. For sure. Okay. Better than I do. She also wrote a 700-page autobiography called The Confessions of an Embittered Soul. And in that, she talks about her life. She includes recipes and she has gory details of what she did. I have seen some arguments that she did not write that. I've that seen somebody both. else wrote it for her. Yeah, where like maybe her education Man, level yeah. wasn't... Yeah, like, maybe, like I saw that maybe she wasn't educated enough to be able to write that much. But also like she was like kind of popular in prison and like she had like really worked and stressed for like the bare necessities of life her entire life so when she got to prison she was like a roof over my head food water great it's time to kick back like she thought that it was relaxing like she did not right. feel well punished. she thinks she was just saving her son again like hey i got caught for it but you know what my son lived we think we're not actually sure if he lived where yeah. he ended up going yeah. but she serves her prison sentence, and one year before she's about to be released from the asylum, she dies. She had intracranial bleeding. So when they examined her, she had cerebral apoplexy, intracranial hemorrhage, and that it was likely from the caustic soda vapors. Like, they bored holes in her brain. So it was kind of like, like so that's what, what I was ran. looking at when, when they mentioned that it could be from the caustic soda vapors. It just sounded like karma. Like you kill people and then you throw them in pots with caustic soda and then they ultimately kill you back. Yeah. So there's been many movies and shows. I think there's even songs about her. I was particularly interested in like what happened to her family afterwards. So Raffaele tried to like I can't believe that. He ate those cookies too. He ate those goddamn cookies. He tried and he kind of couldn't. He started drinking really heavily. And then and I never saw any accounts of him being like a heavy drinker before that. So he he started drinking heavily. And then before her trial, like he died of a heart attack, That's which makes so me very sad. sad for him. Because like he was like trying right. to do his best. And so additionally, her other children, like there were never any other traces found of them. They think people think they changed their name. And also like. This was a time when it was much easier to change your name and to like right. start a new life. Now. Okay. Yeah. So her son Giuseppe left Italy without seeing his mother again. Like he never went to visit her after he was released. He was just like, he scooted it on out in the military. And so his unit went to Africa and there's no records of him after that. So he either died there or he passed himself Fair. off as someone else. Oh, and the pots. So also, if you were curious about where those pots and pans ended up, they were donated to the Criminology Museum in Rome. So if you're ever in Rome, you can check them out. So, Amanda, do you feel firm? In Some the parts of me want to say that maybe she was covering for someone and just did it because that was what she thought was the right thing to do. Or possibly even her son. Maybe he was a psycho killer. I don't know. And then part of me is like, I mean, she had a lot of details, but some argue, even to this day, that some of the details she gave don't make sense. So I honestly have no idea. What about you? You do too? I think it was Giuseppe. And like, yeah, and hear me out. Because first off, the letters. Why would he take those letters? Like, and not ask questions. Like, yeah, his mom was zany. But that was really strange. I also want to think that there were witnesses who saw him dumping 
the pots into the septic pits. And it's like a 46 year old could certainly do the things that she said she did. Like, it's not as though she was like a 70 year old woman being like, and then I hefted the axe above my head. Right. Right. She was like a relatively young person. But this all just doesn't track for me. It doesn't make sense on why she would do these things. And also, okay, she's anxious, nervous disposition that really does leave for the most part when she gets to Correggio, but it's still there. Like, I don't I didn't see I didn't see like lots of accounts talking about her having seizures when she moved there. Because she kind of chilled out. So I, it's hard for me to imagine that for the first time in her life when things are going well, that she's going to do all this. Also, I would imagine that Giuseppe got everything he ever wanted. Probably. If they could provide it. And there's no doubt in my mind that if he would have done this, she would have confessed for him. I think she would go to prison for him. So like that makes me consider it even more because I think that she would definitely go to prison for him. And also like the sensational way that she acts during like her trial and in prison and stuff and like the 700 page memoir, like it all feels like she's really trying to convince people, you know, I mean, it, it definitely could go either way. I mean, but that being said, like she had a horrific childhood and likely I'm going to just go ahead and assume that she probably had a knock to the head at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us what you think. Comment, email us, let us know. Are you concerned about the source of your soap now? Will you not trust your neighbor's cookies? Just uh, consider whether there might be chips of blood ground into your cookies. That's a thing, right? You know. Is that worse than raisins? Hmm. (laughs) And with that, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, drewcreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at True Creeps Pod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash True Creeps Pod, and on Twitter at True Creeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 